It's been a long, long time, but I'm back. And by long, long time, I mean, you know, I missed last week. Uh, long story, dramas, blah, blah, blah. The point is, um, this week, um, I'm talking to Johnny O'Donnell. And man, you, you have hopes for conversations. Um, but this one was so good. Um, Johnny, actually, I had met uh, a few years ago in Queenstown, but um, through a mutual friend of ours, Yvonne Godfrey, who, uh, if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know she was a guest um, a few weeks back. And I wanted to talk to somebody, again, who was involved in uh, in their community and um, I guess trying to change the world in their own little way. And the cool thing about Johnny is that he's been trying to do that since he was about 14. Um, and you're going to find out more about his journey there as well. But we touch on so many good things here. Um, talking about the economy, talking about politics, talking about millennials in the workplace. It's a bit of a hot topic at the moment, I know. So um, you'll get a lot out of that. Um, disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, we're going to play a little game. It's called Who's Got Two Thumbs and Screwed Up His Audio Level? This guy. That also doesn't work on a podcast because I'm pointing at me, but you can't see it. The point is my audio in this is terrible. Johnny's is fine. You can hear him great. And fortunately, he does most of the talking. But, you know, progress better than perfection, blah, blah, blah. If I was that hung up on this sort of thing, I'd never post anything. So let that be a lesson to you all. Um, I will try and resolve that in future as well. Also, occasionally, I'm picking up this weird kind of hum uh, underneath some of my recording. You might be able to hear that now. I haven't changed anything. Don't know why that's there. So that'll be the journey we both go on. Won't that be lovely? Uh, in the meantime, though, I want you to pay full attention to what Johnny has to say. Um, really exciting, really engaging conversation. So here he is. Johnny, thanks for joining me. Hi, Andrew. How are you going? Um, very well, very well. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a privileged position. Less than 10 people. Uh, can, oh, can wow. claim to have been on the show at this point. So um, wow. go. So I count as sort of one of the founding members, founding guests, surely. Look, you're doing some sort of one status of that must come with that. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be you'll be in the opening chapters of the book when you know how many years from now I'm like, and this is how I got to where I am today. It'll be yes. know, conversations like this. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, man, look, the, I guess where I wanted to start, because um, when speaking to Yvonne, um, she and I talked about, obviously, who work with uh, with young adults and, and helping people find their uh, find their lane, basically. Um, mm. And um, I know a little from your story that basically you, much like myself, I think, share a bit of a passion for being an idealist and, and trying to change the world. Uh, mm. And so you kind of leaped into that very early out of high school, hit a few challenges, and... Um, well, you know, obviously the journey from then has been a pretty interesting one. So why don't you tell me about that that initial moment, I guess, when you decided, that's it, I'm going to go and change the world. How did it go for you? What happened? And we'll just talk about that journey from there. Yeah, cool. So I guess the the easiest place to start uh, for me is uh, back in when I was about 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the I guess, experiences that I think had a big influence on me was uh, I was I went to a school, Nelson College, an all boys school, and I was involved in the the Fano class there. And uh, we had I, I had a lot of friends and peers who I thought were suffering from family violence at home. Wow. And um, I was having conversations with uh, a lot of them, and I felt like um, a couple in particular were kind of reaching out for help. And uh, and there was one guy uh, in particular I used to go on the bus with, and, and and I'd hear these stories every day. And so it was one of those things that I I carried with me for a 
for a period of time um, before thinking I, I just I feel completely lost here and helpless yeah. and I really don't know how to get alongside and support someone in this situation so I set out on a journey to to find that information and uh, what I found when I went and connected with a lot of the local agencies working in the area of family violence is that whilst I had no idea and my peers had no idea how to reach out and seek help from those agencies Likewise, they were struggling to reach out to young people in the community and they were struggling to get their message across uh, and be relevant and uh, raise awareness amongst young people of their services. So it was kind of the, the first iteration, if you like, of a, a, a generational gap that I've been exploring ever since mm. that uh, continues to kind of fascinate me and, and, and be one of the, the key drivers for the work I'm doing. And so the, the what came out of that really was we ran a a campaign uh, mm. and we, we launched Students Against Violence Everywhere, which still exists in um, some schools around New Zealand. Cool. And so we we launched into that and that was really around uh, awareness raising and prevention campaigning for uh, family violence. And we produced resources and helped agencies connect with young people to ensure uh, that people are aware of what it means to have a healthy relationship uh, mm. with, with your partners and with your family, uh, but also when uh, things are not so healthy that you know where to reach out for help and, and to find assistance. Wow. So that was kind of the first venture into this you know, social justice and issues space, uh, yeah. which was which was really fascinating and, a, and a, still to this day a really rich experience actually. So how old were you when you started? Of this um, particular initiative? It was 14 when we kicked things off. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. mildly impressive, I don't mind saying. That is, I, yeah, I'm, this is my mildly that. impressed face, which obviously you can't <laughs> see over Skype, but trust me, it's there. Maybe your mildly impressed face can be the other half of the thumbnail we'll create <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> uh, together we're going to create some media magic, you and I. So 14, so how did you, I mean, what was the process there? You just, what, tell me. In terms of for, for me personally or for the organization? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, there was no organization before you decided mm. to take some action here. So, um, I mean, mm. to be honest, it's it's remarkable. And I, I'd be interested to know, too, um, if you think there was something that, uh, if I'm to generalize, which mm-hmm. you know, for the sake of time, I will, um, for most 14-year-olds, um, in terms of seeing a challenge and responding to it, uh, and then even having the wherewithal to mobilize I guess a movement behind it um, that was well well outside of my ballpark. So, sure, uh, have sure. You, you know, any thoughts on perhaps why that was such an intuitive thing for you to do? Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting question. I think that uh, a lot of my drive and curiosity, I guess, about the world comes from drinking tea. <laughs> and I started drinking tea when I was about seven years old. And so I had kind of, I developed a really strong caffeine addiction over seven years. That meant I was quite <laughs> unengaged and bored at school uh, right. and looking for stimulation outside of the classroom, which uh-huh. I've consistently found right up until the day I decided to leave school and yeah. uh, explore that curiosity full time. Okay. No, so look, I mean, I, I, I was a, a strange child, I think, in some ways, like a lot of um young people were interested in entirely different things to me. Uh-huh. I do think that it is true of, increasingly true of younger generations now that they are more 
connected to what's happening in the world socially and environmentally than ever before mm-hmm. and we've got the internet uh, in some ways to thank for that because you are uh, young people entering the workforce or in school today even ha- have been connected to other young people all around the world and stories from all around the world from day one so New Zealand as this sort of isolated island nation tucked away in the corner is no longer really such an isolating factor in Mm. the way we raise children because they are connected uh, to the world and I can remember some really formative experiences when I was I think in my first year of of secondary school we ran a a, a, I was involved in a pilot program which was uh, we connected with students in the states and Mm. spoke with students our age uh, in the states which was a really formative experience for me because uh, I I got to connect and, and compare what it's like, what the school systems were like, and what kind of career decisions they were having to be ma- uh, having to make at the time, and uh, and that was you know a really really awesome experience at that age. Mm. Um, and I've always used uh, with whatever the work I've been doing, I've always used the internet as a tool to connect and and work with people from all around the world. Uh, and I think that's that's really exciting. So although I think I was probably uh, a, an exception to the rule, if you like, as a young mm-hmm. person, ex- super interested in social issues, and from a young age, uh, you know, really quite entrepreneurial uh, yeah. as well. That I think that's probably changing. I yeah. think that the old sort of structures of the way we educate and raise children are, are gradually evolving as we realise that having a system designed to produce children who work in uh, one job or one career for their whole lives is, mm-hmm. is no longer relevant. And, yeah. and further to that, we are in a situation where the pace of change is so rapid now that uh, it's impossible to be prepping young people and children for jobs because the jobs that they're going to enter, well, A, a lot of them don't exist yet, and B, yeah. a lot of the jobs we're prepping young people for probably won't exist by the time they're active in the workforce because Very of the pace true. of digital disruption. So mm-hmm. the whole notion of, of you know, filtering through the smorgasbord of, of subjects and, and topics you can study at school to find the one thing that's going to carry you forward into university <laughs> or a trade or something is kind of out the window now. Yes. And so as a result, I think we'll find we raise more entrepreneurial and globally minded young people mm. which I'm totally excited about. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, do you do you have a, a memory, maybe an earliest memory of maybe this this idea of being either entrepreneurial or something that you saw or experienced that first resonated with you? Yeah, but it's so cliché and lame. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm all about the clichés and the lameness. It's all right. Bore me to you guess. Just you could just about guess. I ran a lemonade stand. Oh, nice. No, no, I love that. I love Isn't that. Isn't that how everyone started? No. Um, uh, having having never run a lemonade stand? No. No, well, it's really missed, not. You don't know what you missed out on. That, that well, was a good time. Oh, if only yeah. I could have time back again. Things I'd do yeah, differently. Think like sort of eight <laughs> cups of sugar per batch. It was pretty hefty stuff. Oh, uh, look, it's still uh, less than a Coke, right? Anyway, carry on. Yeah, no. Look, I I we I grew up in a small town, and I and I I actually live there again now, which is Motueka, one of the sunniest parts of New Zealand, lovely place. And uh, we grew up in an amazing community that uh, where you know we I, I think the whole it takes a village to raise a child couldn't couldn't be true of where I grew up. And mm-hmm. so we grew up in and around uh, a community of a very supportive young, a uh, very supportive adults, and and it was a very safe place as a kid. I think to explore and try new ideas and and. Mm-hmm 
mm-hmm. play freely and, and be independent. And I think that you know, I, I kind of, I'm a little bit concerned by the way I see some children being raised now. My, my wife works in early childhood, and so we get sort of first-hand experiences of this mm. where I think children today are a lot more protected. And this is part of Yvonne's work yeah. uh, as well with, with young people is that, uh, you know, we, we grew up, and it wasn't so long ago that I was a child, uh, <laughs> and we, we grew up in a really safe, idyllic kind of Kiwi mm. lifestyle. Uh, and it meant that I had the freedom to roam, explore, and try new things. And mm. and one of those things for me was constantly starting businesses. And right. uh, as a as a child, I think we I started out in the lemonade stand during summer, uh-huh. and then winter rolled round, and I thought mm, people aren't really enjoying lemonade as much, so I diversified <laughs> into pine cones. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I drink a pine cone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Then I remember running an art exhibition at home. Shut up. Uh, I can remember starting <laughs> JJ's Inc., which was a small stationery company. We used to print <gasps> letterheads for people and uh, postcards. I love, love it. So I always had entrepreneurial ventures mm. on the go uh, as a child, and and that's why I think that the school system was such a struggle for me because yeah. uh, I would I had such rich learning experiences outside of school mm. uh, that I found it very hard to concentrate and engage in a classroom environment and I think that's true of a lot of young people actually oh yeah well I mean that that idea of um, our schooling model being uh, you know designed for the industrial revolution right where we're going to crank out uh, factory workers you know we, we put kids into batches and say mm. you are yeah this you are yeah that uh, that's right of skills or abilities um, we smash you into the same classroom teach you all the same way uh, and then crank you out the end and say whether or not you're a winner or a loser. That's right, exactly. And it's a really sort of archaic, outdated model. One of the things that I think is missing from that picture still in school, and this is where uh, I really admire and support the work that Yvonne does, is uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And it's actually teaching yeah, young people resilience, mm. uh, adaptability, uh, problem solving, all of those really core competencies or the soft skills mm. that are as applicable and relevant regardless of yeah. the career you're involved in or whether you take the entrepreneurial path mm. uh, or, or get involved in politics or whatever you end up doing uh, in your life, I think that they are the skills that, that carry people through. Mm. And the the actual, the, the learning of a, a skill set to deliver a service or sell a product or wh- whatever career you end up embarking on, it's actually much easier to pick up those skills now. The information's largely available sure. to people. People can start businesses easier uh, and quicker than ever before and so it's actually you know the one of the one of the best kind of skills it's kind of feel strange to call it a skill because I guess it's mm-hmm. an attribute but was like a, I've although I was really unengaged at school and I left school at 16 years old mm. uh, I had a real thirst for learning mm. uh, and, yeah. and still do I'm still like extremely passionate about learning and now in, in many ways in my current work I'm a teacher Right. And uh, and and I love teaching as well, and so I love. I actually, uh, you know, the irony is getting back into like a workshop environment <laughs> and training yeah. people for a day, and thinking I love education, I love learning. Yeah. Um, yet I was so unsatisfied at school. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. I really resonate with that. I mean, I think um, even right. for myself, um, I find myself doing similar things now with the work that I do. But at one point, um, 
maybe cultural messaging or whatever, but I, I had determined for quite a while that I needed to go and do some postgraduate study. Mm. Um, and um, as I came closer to it, it was interesting because I, I started to have this mixed emotion of, of both anticipation and dread. And I was going, oh, I don't know what this is. It? Well, you know, what is this about? And then realizing that actually the whole idea of academia, um, that highly structured and formal kind of environment just horrified me. But I love mm. to learn. So realizing yeah. that I could actually, and these days, you're right, with the information being so available, that I could learn, but I don't have to go to university anymore to get that information. It's actually incredibly accessible. Um, mm. was incredibly freeing, I found. Yeah, it is liberating. That was the same same experience I had leaving school. I remember walking out of the school gates and thinking the only thing that changes today is that I am now in control of my own learning. I'm in control of my own I curriculum. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, if, if I don't learn every day and seek out new experiences and new knowledge and new information, no one else is going to do it for me. Uh, whereas previously I felt stuck uh, in an environment where uh, that, inf that that curriculum and, and what I was learning was being uh, dictated to me. And I think that is, I think you're right, that, that industrial model is is the, the problem really because it's, it's, it's grouping people by age rather than by interests and abilities. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think we are past that and I think We'll see a lot of change in that space. Actually, I had one one of uh, you know a really rewarding kind of milestone uh, for me recently was that I was given the opportunity to speak to about 350 secondary school principals wow. and senior senior management uh, from around New Zealand and Wellington recently, mm -hmm. uh, which was an awesome place to be. Yeah, after leaving school at 16, <laughs> uh, being totally disengaged right, and, right. and getting the opportunity to share my story over an hour uh, with all of these secondary school principals and give them mm. some insights into the, the the type of school environment that might have been able to retain me or, or even better, uh, you know, how, how they could have harnessed uh, mm. people like me or, or, or people who are more entrepreneurial to have a contribution to the school. Yeah. Uh, so that was an awesome milestone, really. Yeah, it gives quite a, that, that industrial model too, um, in my experience, it gives people quite a negative um, attitude towards lifelong learning. Um, mm. I found that even when it comes to say reading, like for me, this was quite an epiphany as well in the last year or two. Um, previously, I would read because I felt I should, if that makes mm. sense. Um, yeah. Whereas in the last year or two, when I really started to connect with the things that I was passionate about, my, the amount of reading that I did increased exponentially. Um, mm. And it was no longer a chore, um, or this, yeah. this, yeah, this effort of you know, like, okay, you've got to smash down that part of you that you know doesn't enjoy this, but you have to do it because it's the right thing to do. And instead, mm. it was invigorating and exciting. And people would say to me, "Wow, how do you read so much?" And I said, "The goal was never, I want to read more. Yeah. Um, the goal was, hey, I'm curious and I love this, and a byproduct was learning." Yeah, absolutely, and I love that. Uh, and it's it's actually yeah, I, I feel very much the same uh, in the way I go about things. And it's only recently mm -hmm. I reflected on exactly what I said before around being essentially back in a classroom uh, teaching. <laughs> recently, yeah. it was like that's just the that's the the vehicle, that's the method yeah. Uh, yeah. of how of how we produce kind of transformational experiences for people. Mm. Uh, and and you know and I love that as a that's that's one of the methods that has carried me. through through all of the work I've done, actually, regardless of what I'm involved in at the time. Yeah. So let's mm. let's take a little bit of a step back then, and because um, sure. you mentioned as well about that idea of you know the universal learning principles that we could apply. 
Mm. Um, and particularly around things like resilience and um, those kind of EQ skills, emotional intelligence right. skills. Um, because in, in my conversations with Yvonne as well, and my own observation too, it seems on the one hand, we've never been more protective of young people, but at the same time, mm. they've never been more vulnerable. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly true. And there is a huge amount of pressure on young people as well today. Mm. Um, and we, we, we don't give enough credence or, or credit to the, the amount of pressure there is on young people to make choices now. And mm. and, and, and it's, it's that kind of dichotomy, I guess, of it being the best time ever to live in terms of access to opportunities mm. uh, because you can literally do whatever you want now yeah. uh, and that's a crazy place to be but it's also a very confusing place to be mm. and I think that it is becoming much harder for young people to find their place in the world in a world where their career options do not fit on one page where their career options may be things that they are inventing uh, or developing themselves or carving their own pathway and I can certainly say that for all the the glamour that sits behind you know entrepreneurship and running your own business it is a very confusing and isolating place to be uh, mm. as anyone who's run a business will will tell you and uh, and so I think you know we uh, in amongst the our education system and also from a parenting and social perspective as well uh, actually we, we would gain a lot from easing up a wee bit on the pressure on young people and understand just taking a minute to you know I always encourage when, when I do talks on sort of how to get the most out of younger generations I always encourage people to you know, increase their generational intelligence take the time to wow. walk in young people's world and understand the decisions and the choices and the, the, the economic situations and the social situations that they are facing and, and, and understand how confusing and difficult that can be because when we don't address that or we don't enable that conversation because confusion is not a bad thing and, and when we take much like failure and all these other things that we've yeah. always associated to be really negative things it's not a bad thing at all when you're confused you're about to have a breakthrough and you know, and and you know it's getting comfortable with confusion and not understanding where you are or what you're doing or why you're doing things is actually not a bad place to be at all mm. and um, you know sometimes when I say that to, to other young people and to also to you know business owners as well it's like this weight gets lifted off their shoulders like, oh, I'm allowed to be confused because oh whoa I'm so confused you know I'm so, yeah. and and so that you know we, we need to have more of those conversations we need to change the environment it's like you know one of the the biggest realizations people will probably have in their lifetime is that everyone is winging it no one actually has any <laughs> idea what they're doing <laughs> and uh, so as soon true. as you scratch the surface on anyone you'll you'll you'll, yeah. you'll begin to realize that and so yeah. in an age of like social media and and kind of idolizing and and, and influences yeah. uh, we you know it's it's important not to draw really to create this gulf between you and where you want to be because mm. actually that can be we, we've always seen it as a motivational force but actually it can be incredibly demotivating because yeah. We are constantly staring over the horizon. We are mm. constantly striving to get somewhere, so much so that I really think we live in an age where we are less present in our current circumstances than we ever have been. Wow. And we are less willing to be to show gratitude for uh, our, our current scenario, or how far we've come. And you know, how, how true is this? Sean Anker does a great TED talk on this, and, and, he, mm. and he talks about you know, every time we hit a goal 
we we just shift the goalpost immediately. It's yeah. like almost if you know you're about to score, you've already shifted it. You know, you're just constantly pushing the boundaries out, which is fantastic because you're casting new ground, you're getting out of your comfort zone, you're constantly improving yourself. Mm. Uh, but if you never take the time to reflect on your successes and celebrate your wins and understand how far you've come, uh, then you will spend your entire life striving for a destination that you will never arrive at yeah. uh, and 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 that can be a really crippling uh, and depressing place to be I think and I, and I, and I see that all around uh, and I think in some ways that's unfortunately encouraged and glamorized a wee bit in the entrepreneurial world sure well I mean you don't need a lot to be miserable do you like something that no. I've, I've, I've observed <laughs> is that you 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 only need to be lacking one thing and decided, That's right. but that is the one thing that you needed and then everything that you have is suddenly worthless meaningless That's to right. you exactly exactly yeah. and, and and you know we need to your circumstances are, are never going to align in a way that you you're going to be completely happy with where you're at so if you have a sure. if you have a tendency not to be satisfied with that and this is this is kind of going back to my earlier thoughts around uh, the schooling system we i think mm. we drill that feeling into young people oh, in the school system from the outset okay. we, we 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 kind of impart that mindset that you are never you're not there yet Right, and the the truth is, you are there right now, right? You are already living in this world, and you constantly, uh, while it's it's really healthy to strive and want to achieve more. Uh, yeah. At the same time, I think it's you know one of the one of the the needle moving strategies for me has been uh, just finding balance between pleasure and achievement and yeah. and and there's a, a great book actually by a guy called chris skellett who is a friend of mine in dunedin and he, and he wrote a book called when happiness is not enough and, and it's all about that wow. it's like striking the balance great between title. yeah yeah and striking the balance between pleasure and achievement because yeah. we some we we all have an orientation towards one or the other mm. uh and and those of us who are achievement driven which i would firmly place myself in that camp because uh i've i've never sat still mm. uh, i've always wanted to move forward and, and always you know taken on a lot of work for myself so i'm very achievement orientated you'll find if you're in that camp that you become quite frustrated at people who are pleasure orientated uh. um, you, you think you, you you perceive it as a lack of work ethic. You right. perceive it as laziness. Um, but they have a, a, a pleasure orientation, if you like, and mm. and and uh, it, it kind of grates people uh, <laughs> yeah. because because you're almost a little bit envious. <laughs> I well, think, yeah, something of... that something that yeah. struck me actually with um, good old Tony Robbins. Um, yeah. I must admit, I, I feel bad now for the attitudes I had about Tony going back a number of years because I had very oh, much that Tony. TV infomercial kind of uh, view of him. I know, it. I know. Did he do that to himself? I think he might have. Well, but he is maybe the so. one and only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, he made this point, which I think was very interesting and, and ties in with what you're saying there too, is that ultimately, you know, you need to find what is success on your terms. What What is yeah. meaningful and successful for you? Because you can... Um, I mean, if we were to use that high school analogy, right, we can say mm. that, well, the only way to be happy and successful in life is to get straight A's. Mm. And if you or I dedicated our lives to just getting straight A's all the time, we could mm. probably do it and hate ourselves. Sure. Hate every waking minute of it. Um, and he yeah. uses the example of saying that, you know, he's pursued achievement as, you know, the number one thing. Mm. And even even in his own world, um, I've, I've heard interviews where he started to say, well, actually, that whole idea of, um, I guess for want of a better term, 
finding satisfaction or joy in where you are right now and being able to enjoy finding fulfillment i think in fact is the word that he used mm. um and that that and the fact that that can look different to different people um mm. and still be legitimate is quite a mind-blowing concept when you first start to consider it it is it is and i think we have that you know i'm, I'm very interested in, in, in politics as well and i think we we have that problem as you know we're, we're individuals and we and, and then we associate ourselves with tribes being in, in our case in the 21st century usually workplaces or businesses sure. uh, and so we associate with those tribes and then and then our larger tribe is as our country new zealand and and so all and all of those things we're looking for meaning and purpose and identity yeah. and we've, we've got our own identities that, that develop over time and, and evolve and then we've got these workplaces who are increasingly seeing the benefit of having a really clear identity and a, and a, and a, and a purpose as well to actually motivate people uh, beyond sort of financial reward and then as a country I think we're really struggling with that so if I use examples of businesses you know I, I'm the kind of person who goes into a business who says we, we need help with our marketing or, or we want to develop our online presence and my first question is always why um, right. what, what what, what's the point you know are, are they just having some kind of unnecessary anxiety or overwhelm about the fact that their online presence is not up to scratch by someone else's standards or mm. um, are they actually wow. intentionally trying to grow their business and a lot of the time they're actually not and and, <laughs> and then the conversation kind of it, it actually changes direction to okay yeah. well then what's the problem and is it you don't have enough time all right so we need to streamline your systems more it's not actually about growth it's about retention in this case and so right. the, 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 I, I'm always the one to, to sit at the top there and and kind of say what what is the driving force behind this project because I, w I won't take one on uh, mm. without understanding that and so I think that that, that the same could be said for um, us as individuals and us as um, collectives in terms of workplaces and also us as a country mm. and, um, and and you know we we the default bias at the moment seems to be that you just grow at all costs you yeah. and, and I'm talking about in, in, in a financial and economic sense mm. here and, and actually that's not always a healthy place to be right. um, and and if, and if you're intentional about that and you understand why you're trying to grow and develop uh, then it makes complete sense but if you're growing for the sake of growing yeah, uh, right. without an understanding of what your bottom lines are what is totally unacceptable to you Mm. Uh, and, and, and where you want to end up or what lifestyle outcomes you want to produce, then um, you know you end up in the classic situation, which I think a lot of small to medium business owners are in, uh, which is that the business runs them, not the other way around. Yeah. Mm. You've said some powerful... So how do you journey somebody through that? What's the, the conversation like when you start to sit down with somebody as a prospective client and help them uncover those kind of uh, the true driving forces in their lives? Mm, it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always different, and I, you know, we it, we we always take a conversation. The entry conversation is normally around marketing or, or digital, and um, and and that very quickly develops into more of a strategic conversation about where are we drug. actually going. <laughs> it is a gateway drug, it's, and, every, and everyone wants some at the moment. No. Um, it yep. seems to be flooding the market and so uh you know we, we we have those conversations and 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 then we determine 
uh, where where they go. And for me, and this might be useful for for any of your listeners who are involved in in, in freelancing or or even uh, involved in a team or a business, that you know the most important thing for me when I work with a client is, is whether I like them. It's very radical. Oh, um, no, it's whether right. it's Tell me more about that. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very simplistic way of putting it, but that was intentional. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really established. Look, I, I, when I when I quit my job, which is we're we're jumping around a bit here, so hopefully you can right. keep keep up with the, the how <laughs> things are going, how things panned out. But I, when I quit my job uh, about three and a half years ago now. Uh, I, I just made two promises to myself, and one is that I wanted control of my time. I, I, I didn't want to be there from nine to five. I wanted to have control of when I worked and when I didn't. I didn't want to ask permission uh, yeah. to, to have time off. That was like my number one, boom, that's got to happen. The yeah. second thing is I didn't want to work for <clears throat> assholes. And, and so, <laughs> crudest term I'll use on the whole podcast, I promise. But I oh, don't love I, yourself. I, That's all right. <laughs> and I and I and I made that decision because I had worked with a whole lot of people who I didn't consider to have a values alignment with me. Yeah. And 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 I and I felt like actually I, I, I worked in a corporate environment initially and I felt like I had this this experience in the corporate environment where I was very strong on my values and my yeah. my my ethics and that slowly over time actually they were being chipped away at. Mm. Uh, and it was very subtle, and I don't actually think people notice that a lot of the time. But it was yeah. a, a lot of the what my beliefs were kind of being slowly chipped away at uh, in the name of you know performance, high performance yeah. in that organisation, and or even uh, I, pragmatism. If, if I was to jump on that point, I, I have seen yeah. um, that that very thing of people saying, "Oh well, you know, I believe this. Oh, but if I don't do this, then the client won't be happy, or if I don't do that, we might not secure this next account." Exactly. Um, yeah. And, I mean, look, again, I know I'm probably more prone to idealism than most, but I have seen the flip side of that where people go, oh, no, I mean, yeah, it's not what I choose to do, but it'll be fine. And mm. I'll tell you what, the number of times, oh, man, it just blows up in somebody's face because they That's went, right. oh, you know, we'll just do this, but we'll make money out of it. And then you don't. Um, That's and then right. not only did you not make money, but you sold out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. 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 And, and and it's a very demotivating place to be. And I, and I talk about that with people who are passionate about something because, yeah. um, you know, they people go into businesses because they're passionate about photography or mm. or beauty or writing or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. But if but if people have this sort of passion that they then want to monetize, which is what this today's world really encourages people to do, it's like you can make money doing what you love, which mm. is sometimes awesome and sometimes not that awesome um, and, 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 and sometimes it's okay to be passionate about things and to not make money out of them and I think that we've certain got podcasts that certain people may have started in the last couple of months carry on oh, there you go. exactly and I think it's really you know we get we get it's easy to get stuck in a trap of, yeah. of trying to commercialize everything we do yeah. um, to try and enable us to do more of it, but in the process of uh, trying to make money out of love, doing what you love, you sometimes actually stop loving what you're doing. And so and I see that happen so much with people in in, in the creative sector in particular, mm. uh, who 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 go in with a love of photography or video or music or whatever it is, sure. and 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 come out completely kind of you know uh, uh, turned off by the the whole the whole art of it and yeah. because they've been they've been forced to take a different pathway with that and actually I, I often think about people and think yeah you might you might have 
ended up working for yourself or, or entering a business, but in the process, you you actually lost a passion, not not kind of monetized and turned one into a lifestyle. Um, uh, that's not true for everyone, but but it, no, you know, I, yeah. it is that there's a, there's a lot of noise right now about entrepreneurship. It's yeah. very glamorized and mm. and sugar coated, and mm. we li- we do live in an age where. Uh, it's easier than ever before to make money out of your passion. Um, but we also live in a really distracting and busy age where your passion might be more important to you as a hobby than ever before as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that whole idea of... Um, it, it, it is interesting, isn't it? There's this tension between maximizing everything at all times mm. um, that the whole idea of people relaxing is, is seen as, quote-unquote, time-wasting. Um, yeah. Or you know how you yeah like you say how can you turn this thing that you love doing into a money making venture? Um, mm. Yeah, I can feel the joy bleed out of me just as I think about that. God. <laughs> and time wasting is so important. Like we 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 have this I need idea. That on a t-shirt right now. Right now. I love uh, that. We're going to print those t-shirts. <laughs> we're going to do it because time wasting is a really important concept. Oh, and, tell me more uh, about this. There's a, there's a lot of beliefs, you know, like I think uh, Tim Ferriss always asks a really good mm. question uh, throughout his new book, uh, which is made up of podcast episodes, um, which which is that, you know, what are the what are the unpopular or uncommon beliefs you have? And it was a really good question uh. for me to, for me to explore because time wasting is one of them okay. um, because we're, we're told to maximize our time as much as possible and be as productive as possible. Now, mm. I consider myself a pretty productive person. Like I, mm. I get a lot done um, and I have achieved a lot in my short time in the workforce and mm. and, and continue to do so uh, and I waste a lot of time and and I and I and I have a totally different lens on productivity uh, than most people and productivity oh, is more. about being as planned and meticulous as you can with your time uh, where you're scheduling appointments in with with mm. yourself and and, and 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 some of those tools don't get me wrong are very helpful mm. but uh, my productivity lens is all around state okay. and, and 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 so i i'm less aware of time and more aware of state and state oh. is so important because take like reflect on a time where you have just been in your creative zen or flow mode yeah. Yeah. where i think comedians call it the forever box right okay. um and, and 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 it's where they can just keep going and going and going and it's this kind of timeless zone where your best work is being produced because you're in a state of flow mm. and for me often like sometimes that'll come on on a plane or sitting waiting at the airport or after a meeting sitting in the car on my phone like writing yeah. um because because they, they're inspired states mm. and we have through the workplace been become and it's become ingrained in us that the the optimum hours of working for whatever reason nine to five mm. and and actually if i arrive at the office at 9am i mean there's two types of time right there's fixed time and flexible time obviously a lot of my work is is involves fixed time where i've got meetings and i have deadlines and and, and there's not really a lot of negotiating most of the time but then there's also a huge amount of all of our work lives that is flexible time right. and and so if i turn up Within in the office, with the intention of producing a strategy or or writing an email newsletter or whatever it is at 9 a.m. on a Monday, and I start writing and think this is not going to happen. This is <laughs> I'm not producing my best work here. Yeah. This 
half an hour task is about to take me three hours right my like the all the logic in the world would would suggest that the right thing to do in today's world is just because you're because that's the time you've allocated to it to sit there and bang out that task and, and mm. take the three hours to get it done but i'm going to release that work whatever it be strategy client work creative work whatever it is i'm going to release that and I'm not going to be that happy about it. It took me a really long time, and because I was working in a really poor state, uh, I, I, I actually will feel more exhausted and tired after it as well than than, than usually. Because good work's yeah. actually really energizing, right? Like when you're in creative sure. flow, it's totally energizing. You can walk mm. away from work, you're not exhausted, you're happy. Mm. Uh, because you're producing stuff that you're happy with. And so I, I am more likely in that moment to go away, and it's different for everyone, but for me it would either be to, to meditate or to go for a bike ride or to mm. walk or to watch something inspirational and spend that time changing my state first. Wow. Um, and for Tony Robbins, this involves uh, you know jumping in an ice bath. I, I, I yeah. haven't gone that far yet. Um, but <laughs> he talks about change of state. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he, he talks about change yeah. of state in exactly that way yeah. um, because I just think this is a really, really important concept because we are totally mm. inundated and overwhelmed with information at the moment. And, and finding peace and flow is where you actually do the best work. And I think we're losing the ability to do deep work. Like so you're, you're, mm. you're, And I, I said before, it's interesting, this is kind of uh, the, the linkages here, um, because I said before that confusion is a good thing. Well, when you're doing deep work, and by deep work I mean problem solving, mm. I mean that the heavy lifting, and this is one of the most uncomfortable things about business, is that some of your most important time is actually wasting time doing nothing. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think the same could be said for a lot of for a lot of professions actually, but sure. when you're doing that deep important work of problem solving, so you have a problem in your business or in your work life that that requires your, your attention, your problem solving ability. What we do now is as soon as we stop writing or stop reading or stop thinking about that problem, we medicate with activity and, mm. and, and we use Facebook or social media or we, we read articles or watch videos or something to medicate ourselves with activity because we are suddenly, heaven forbid, bored um, right. and so and so we, we bring activity into that into our lives in that moment and in doing so distract ourselves and lose I think the ability to do really good creative and strategic work mm. and it's one of the things that I think really will over time we're in kind of an awkward phase I think at the moment with humanity with technology it's kind of it's very new and awkward and, and we're still we're still getting our heads around it but I think it is one of those things that will correct itself because we have the means at our disposal at any time to distract ourselves you can distract yourself yeah. wherever you like but those inspirational moments those aha moments the, mm. the problem solving abilities the strategic and creative thinking actually comes when you're confused or bored and so if you don't let yourself get into those states if you avoid them with activity mm. and distraction uh, you lose the ability to produce great work yeah and yeah. I've heard it described actually by some as the ability to lean into discomfort um, yeah. as opposed to yeah feeling it and being like oh no I'd rather distract myself not think about it or whatever and even That's if you mentioned too that idea of um, you know distraction medicating us and coming back to that point about the low emotional intelligence that so many of us have um i feel like even one of the reasons as you, as you were saying that what, what showed up for me was that because our approach to 
those kind of states is to avoid them. You know, we think about why we have such low emotional intelligence across the board. Um, mm. Our work response from very early on, our school response is always conditioned to be, if you feel a certain way, ignore that feeling. Mm. Uh, push past that feeling. Don't, don't yeah. pay attention to it. Um, that is the part of the week. Um, instead, force yourself to do things. Um, by the way, do that in a career for 40 years, 50 years. Um, yeah. and then you will have truly made it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the symptoms of this problem is that we I, I, I've met a lot of young people in the last year mm. that, and, and maybe it's just because it's been on my radar, but that actually don't know what they want to do. Mm. And, and for me, that, that, that is like, what, how do we still have that problem? Like when you can yeah. do anything yeah. how are you yeah. still out of ideas like you, yeah. you you can actually get a job you can travel yeah. the world right you can work from a laptop right. you don't even have to leave the <laughs> house to make money now uh, how are you stuck for ideas like to me that's I a it's that. a it's a concept that sometimes i think uh, you know i would i would love that problem like being stuck for ideas imagine <laughs> um i'm certainly not short on ideas but the i think that we've got a real it's a real symptom of the problem when people are literally mm. so bored and uninspired. It's like, yeah. what has what has society done to create large groups of people that actually don't have a clue or an idea what they want to do? Like, how, yeah. how, how much inspiration or imagination have we drummed out of people to get to that point? Well, and we are so staggeringly over-resourced as well. I mean, I, I remember um, now the exact source I would struggle for, but they were making a comparison about, say, uh, you know, J.D. Rockefeller wealthiest man in the world 100 years ago and they said the remarkable thing now is if you think about your quality of life compared to his yours is better in almost every conceivable way yeah, than yeah. the wealthiest man in the world 100 years ago you know your your quality of transport education uh, entertainment um travel uh anything mm. um is better and yet we find a way not to be engaged or grateful about what we have but look I love that, but there was something that you mentioned that, that I do want to make sure I, I come back to in particular, because your perspective, um, if we can touch on the millennial question for a bit, because I know this is getting a bit of airtime with people at the moment, and, and this is a group that not only are you a part of, but you, you work a lot with as well. Yes. This, this renewed perspective and challenging of the uh, you know status quo, I believe is actually the great one of the great gifts that the millennial generation brings to the workforce. So can you tell me a little bit about your work there or your perspective on that particular front? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a um, – the generational question is something that has fascinated me for a long time because for as, as long as uh, we have these things documented, people have had – problems with generations right there's always yeah. been generational conflict it's that's that's nothing new yeah. but there is a, there is a sense and there's a feeling out there that it's it's been exaggerated more recently and i think there's a, there's there's a couple of drivers in that one is is technology has has obviously created some form of generational divide but also uh, and and partly fueled by tech technology the pace of change is so much quicker than it used to be and so we used to measure generational spans by 20 years mm -hmm. and actually that's far too broad 
of a span to now measure generations by. You think about the way the workplace and technology and the way we communicate and live and buy has changed in the last 20 years. Hello? You cannot measure generations by 20-year gaps anymore because the pace of change is so much quicker. Mm. And so we... So I I encourage it to to look at it in a much more granular detail. And and, and I do that because I'm on the tail end of of Gen Y or or the millennials. And Mm. I believe that the reason we are now seeing people in my age bracket start businesses faster than ever before, they are more entrepreneurial than ever before, they are more attracted to startup culture, like get this for a moment, employers come to me and they say, I cannot retain young staff members, like I just cannot retain Gen Y or millennial staff members, they are lazy, they are entitled, they want everything for nothing, These are the, this is the rhetoric you hear, and I look at that and go, so try and explain to me why those same people are willing to go and work for next to nothing in a startup for two years and make wow. and, and make nothing yes. um, and, and do it for the love, try and, try and reconcile those two things for me, <laughs> um, because they're just not making sense. Yeah. And so I think that employers have a real issue here because the workplace of the past is no longer relevant to to the people that are entering it. And I think one of the social like generations are always shaped by their social and economic events of their time right uh-huh. and so 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 wars and depression the great depression and those kind of things obviously have a huge impact on the makeup of that generation mm. and for us and for the tail end of the millennials our view of the workplace and of business and of the corporate life was shaped during the global financial crisis Sure. And yep. so we don't actually like the workplace that much, funny enough. <laughs> uh, like, not that into it. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we entered the workforce and went, nah, nah not for me. Uh, and, and we went, and increasingly so, we went and we started businesses. We started our yeah. own ventures. And there's this idea from, dare I say, older generations that in workplaces, and, and also I do a lot of work in, in community uh, organizations and volunteering as well so this uh-huh. is, remains the same for not-for-profit organizations and actually political arenas as well they mm-hmm. feel entitled to the support and participation of young people right huh anyone who's listening as an employer as a volunteer manager as an organizer you are not entitled to the participation of young people and wow. if you don't give them a, <laughs> a really good and compelling reason or purpose for giving their time or or giving up their life in a paid or unpaid capacity, they will go and start their own businesses and organizations. And why wouldn't they? And we are in a really fascinating time because the small business sector in New Zealand has been, is largely occupied at the moment by baby boomers who uh, have for the most part, because I work in that sector and I, and, I, and I understand the state of a lot of those businesses, for the most part, have no succession plan. They have no uh-huh. exit plan. They don't know whether they're going to sell the business or, or and they, a lot of them are holding on to the notion that their, their child will will take it over a lot of the time for, for really small businesses. That's going to It's about to get really awkward. I think we're just <laughs> on the cusp, actually, of mm. – this becoming an increasing problem because I look around. I, I live in, you know, small town New Zealand. I look at the the accountants and the lawyers and the cafes and the businesses here, retailers and that kind of thing. I, I look at those businesses that are predominantly owned by baby boomers, uh, mm. and I think, why would a young person buy that business? Mm. 
Yeah. They're operating in a different world. You've got retailers oblivious to or with their head in the sand to the fact that uh, retail is increasingly happening in an online marketplace. Mm. And you've got accountants and lawyers and professional services who don't understand that their competition is no longer on the main street. It's worldwide. We can access talent and services from all around the world. And so you better give me a compelling reason why dealing with you is better than dealing with the person I'm talking to in Auckland or Sydney or LA and and that so they're not operating in that world a lot of the time and mm. I don't understand why a young person would come and buy that business mm. uh, as opposed to starting their own and it's easier to start their own than ever before and so in New Zealand and I don't think it's unique to New Zealand, but in New Zealand, as the the pace of digital disruption picks up and we start to feel more and more pressure from that uh, and more and more baby boomers look towards retirement and leaving a legacy or getting out of their business, yeah. uh, it's going to be a really interesting phase. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I love, you, love your energy, man. Um, I, I'm thinking too, what you were saying that if you talk about that global financial crisis moment um, as well, like that was the moment to me as well where the illusion of stability came crashing down. Mm. And I think that's very much been the goal of the baby boomers. Um, mm. And if you ask that question, I think of when I've been asked it or heaven forbid when I've asked it because it's what you do, right? Um, yeah. Of, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? The whole idea was, and how much advice did we get like this at school as well? It was like, well, what, what job is going to give you, well, first of all, it has to be a job. Uh, and then yeah. what's going to give you a stable career path? What's Where's the demand for what, you know? And so I look at different trends where at one point, you know, if you go back, say, into the 90s and things like that, everyone went into banking. And then everyone went into IT. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people went into the trades. And then a whole bunch of them went back into IT. And then it was, you know, whatever. Um, but the GFC showed a lot of people that you can pursue these careers uh, that seem to be rock solid. Uh, and then I don't care what it is that you've thrown yourself at because you think it was the safe option. Um, it can fall over. So mm. um, I think it was actually even Jim Carrey, actor Jim Carrey, um, right, yeah. in a speech of his that um, was a little video clip that went viral. He talked about his dad saying how he became an accountant and um, I think it was an accountant and he failed at it. And he said he learned a lesson that you can fail at doing what you hate. So you may as well fail at doing something that you love if you're going to try and you know, live love that kind that. of life. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And, 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 and you know, as, as far as stability is concerned, I think digital disruption will, will take care of that. Um, the, the, you know, one of the most conservative uh, traditional business owners in this country, uh, Peter Talley, Sir Peter Talley, who, who is from the town, started his business from the, the town where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he would be easily considered, this is a, this is a fairly old school employer who, sure. who's one of the wealthiest people in the country and, he, and he's conservative as they come mm -hmm. um, and, and he said in a conference that I went to he said you know the digital disruption will make the GFC look like a Sunday picnic and <laughs> for me it was like you know I, I I, I'm already engaged in that space and I already under, I already understand a lot of what what is happening but uh, for someone from that sector and he's in food production, right? So right, he, 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 right. his business is probably under threat, and uh, and and for him to come out out of the gates, of, you know, very early on in his talk and say that was mm. was a big realization for me. And and I think that that those kind of skills that we talked about earlier around adaptability and resilience. Uh, yeah. 
are more important than ever. And I don't just say that from a digital disruption point of view because mm. that's a term that's probably overused and, and over-talked about in some ways. Um, I, I say that from a from an environmental point of view as well and a social sure. point of view. I think that, you know, we, we are also in, a, in an interesting phase there through globalisation uh, and, and the impacts of that that is now having. So past sort of globalisation and automation and technology and then look at the impacts of that on people's, yeah. people's livelihoods and their jobs and their way of life. Mm. Uh, and people have just, and I think we're, we're seeing examples of it around the world politically, where people have just hunkered down and gone, hey, this is a bit scary. And it's like, mm. yeah, it is. It is actually really scary. Uh, and and But it's but it's happening. And, and we need to understand that, uh, you know, we, we need to start having really practical or pragmatic conversations uh, about what things like automation means because automation and technology can actually make our lives a lot better it kind of always has sure. and and um, but it does mean that a large amount of people will will be unemployed mm. um, their jobs will be replaced I see like IRD last week you know made 1800 people redundant or, or proposed at least and 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 I look at that and I'm like are there 1800 jobs for those people to go to yeah, I'm not right. sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Why are those 1,800 jobs becoming freed up? Because they probably used to do checks and balances and paperwork that is now done by a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a good thing? Of course it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but does it have an impact on, on, on not just them but us as a whole community and a country sure. as well, of course it does. And so we need to start having really realistic conversations about that. And it's the same, I think, you know, I, I um, am interested in renewable energy and, and so – yeah, there's a transition going on right now from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And oh, fossil okay. fuels, are, 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 this is not even a debate. Like, we don't even have an <laughs> argument about it. I mean, it's, even if you don't believe that burning fossil fuels is warming the planet and making life a lot harder for us, uh, even if you don't believe that, fossil fuels are a finite resource and we're a growing population, so we'll eventually run out of them. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's not even an argument. It's just like we've, we haven't got a lot left. We should probably stop burning them anyway yeah. uh, and so we're in this transition to renewable energy now they're different jobs but actually renewable energy is one sector where the, the latest and greatest in technology and renewable energy actually creates more jobs but they're different jobs yeah. uh, and so this kind of idea of blue collar or, or, or whatever workers mm. who have relied on fossil fuels and I think every country has one of these industries like in Australia it's undoubtedly mining, mining. Yeah. Uh, and, and New Zealand it's probably dairy farming to some extent yeah. uh, where yeah. we've relied on industries that are not necessarily sustainable anymore uh, right. and the reason we're not moving or making that transition to a more sustainable industry or economy is because jobs are on the line. Mm -hmm. uh, we're never going to be able to make that move until we have a more realistic conversation about what that means. Uh, and, you know, we need to, as much as we need to grow the economy or protect the economy, uh, ecology is, is a really important conversation <laughs> to be having as well, right? Because, yeah. uh, yeah, there are there are you can you can't eat money, yeah. and so it's, so it needs, to, it needs to be a part of the conversation. I think politically, you know, most people identify as being their primary concern being the economy and yeah. elections, mm -hmm. and that's fair enough because people on uh, you know minimum wage working in New Zealand struggling to get into a house, they're not really thinking about climate change. Um, why mm -hmm. would that? They? They're trying to survive, and so our, our, our political discussion 
needs to evolve to the point where we're having more realistic conversations about what is what is the initial pain look like to make this transition to mm. to a, a, a better and more sustainable way of life. Yeah, and I mean, even to come back to some of the earlier points that you were making as well, I mean, if you have a population that is more emotionally resilient, um, mm. then when change comes, um, you're at least in a position to respond to it. Um, if you look at any point in history, and I mean, I, I guess the best one for me lately is the American audio industry, and we saw kind of what happened there, where you say, no, no, we're going to protect this, we're going to protect this, we can we can make it more efficient, but we're going to protect it. Um, you do end up creating an environment where really, if anything, the fall just becomes bigger. Um, yeah. And these are people who, if, if we just believe the fundamental precepts of, of humanity, that, mm. that human beings have the ability to learn and grow and develop, um, yes then even if you are a, a line worker at General Motors, um, I believe that you have the ability to learn and grow and develop and you could possibly yeah. do something else. But it's the moment we say, no, no, that person couldn't do that and gee, it would be uncomfortable for them if change happened. It's like, mm. well, sure, but the, the problem is change is coming for you regardless. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it is, absolutely. Surely a better approach is to, is to look at it that way. Absolutely, and, and one of one of the the factors that needs to be at play here that everyone's too scared to talk about because mm -hmm. we're we're probably too busy anyway is that we actually need to one of the solutions here and uh, this is this is a, a a good one of those opposing un, uncommon beliefs that we talked about earlier uh -huh. is uh, we we actually need to work less like right. we we are uh, you talked about all those things before using the Rothschild example mm -hmm. that we, we circumstantially we've never been better off. But yeah. we're also more unhappy than ever before, right? We are more anxious. We are more depressed. Mm. We are more unhappy than we ever have been. We have to start asking ourselves why that is. And, yeah. and you know, even if we're still working a traditional 40-hour week, we are connected to our work around the clock. And we are busier and more overwhelmed and inundated than ever before. Plus, and I would I say with technology, you can do more work in an eight-hour stretch than you used to absolutely. be able to do even absolutely. 10 years ago. And you'll be often multitasking and moving yeah. faster, and, and yeah. that creates that has an impact. And so, mm. uh, in, in this world of being resource rich and, and 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 circumstantially better off than we ever have been, yet unhappy uh, mm. and and more depressed and anxious than we <laughs> ever have been, we need to have a serious conversation about whether we're working too much. And I'm really wow. passionate about this idea because. Yeah. Um, I think that in an age of you know mass automation and replacement of jobs with technology, mm. uh, more and more people are going to become jobless, and we are probably not going to find replacement jobs for all of them. Even if we upskilled everyone, mm. I don't think we're going to find replacement jobs for everyone. But do we have to? And mm. and and actually, is there a a new way of thinking that enables people to work less? I mean, what would the impact be of saying, what if we looked at a three or a four four-day work week and, <laughs> and, and and then one job became two all of a sudden. Oh, I can feel the baby boomers <laughs> that are rolling over in there. I don't know, not graves, maybe on their um, magnetic um, underlays. <laughs> and we'll just look at the impact of working too much. Like it's a, yeah. it's a belief oh. that's been drilled into us. Yeah. But look at the impact of stress and overwork. And, and I come oh. at this from a very personal perspective because I spent uh, uh, some of my most productive months last year in, in hospital. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I, I understand on a personal level the impact of of burning the candle too mm. too much at either end and 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 
the impact of work on it. I mean, it, I, I saw something on Facebook about this recently, which really got me thinking. Which was, uh, you know, is it possible that or something along the lines of is it is it possible that separating a family in the morning to go and do things they don't like for the entire day <laughs> is one of the worst ideas we've ever come up with. <laughs> like, oh, man. There are not words the, for how much I love that. <laughs> and the conversations in the space that people like Yvonne Godfrey are working in where you're, we're looking at the increasing separation between families, it's, yeah. it's partly because we've got two parents back at work now. Oh, uh, wow. and, and we never used to have that. And so there is a huge amount of negative consequences for the family that we are mm. all working and we are all working harder than ever mm. before um, and and we're increasingly moving to an age where technology is replacing jobs and we're going to uh, under our current structure that's going to be a huge problem but it doesn't actually have to be yeah wow Johnny an hour has flown by my friend what a place to leave it eh? work oh, less look, uh, work less <laughs> you heard it here first take it easy take, take the it easy off. exactly <laughs> Johnny before we go um I've, I've, I've loved your perspective today. I really am grateful for you making the time. Um, but if somebody wants to get in touch with you directly um, in, in whatever capacity, uh, as a speaker or as a consultant or, or whatever, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. I love LinkedIn. So um, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. Johnny O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Johnny is spelled J-O-H-N-Y. Mm-hmm. It was unique. I made that decision when I was about eight because I wanted to uh, imprint my independence for life. And um, and the the other thing is my business is called Shift On, and so um, the other option is www.shifton.co. That's Johnny O'Donnell, shifton.co. Uh, and in case you're not up with um, modern web domain etiquette, that's the wrong word. The point is .co is a complete domain. It's not a .co.nz, literally shifton.co. So now that we've got that out of the way, um, man, I loved his perspective. So good. And millennials get a bad rap in the workplace. And so I thought it was pretty cool to see um, another perspective, hear another perspective on that too. So I would encourage you too, if um, to, if you've got any thoughts about engaging with um, the younger generation, either in terms of those you're hiring or marketing yourselves and Johnny's a fantastic guy to talk to about that um, I on the other hand am just fantastic to talk to full stop so <laughs> oh, I had that thought in my mind to say will I follow through with saying that and there's your answer um, if you want to get in touch with me you can do it via the Andrew Curtis show at gmail.com um, it has been a privilege once again to have you join me coming up very soon uh, how to bake a cake in spectacular ways that'll be on the next episode <laughs> Thank you